This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Elizabeth Wharton at Lawyer Liz. And while I am an attorney with the Atlanta office of Hall Booth Smith, Buzz Off is not legal advice and nor is intended to provide any guidance. Instead, it is merely the musings and a weekly look at all of the buzz and the technology, autonomous vehicles, drones, Internet of Things, and everything in between. So thanks for joining and This week is a little bit better of a start than last week's show because, well, it's blue skies here in the studio in Atlanta and no tornado sirens going off. So I take that as a sign that even though last week's discussion was entertaining to me and I hope everyone else enjoyed it, that today's topic and guest will be I would say better and even more entertaining than last time because, well, blue skies cleared for takeoff, etc., etc. So for those who are following on Twitter and such, uh, I have to tip my hat to the Orem Police Department because they took what what, what could have been a very, and what is, a very... Uh, serious downside to the rise of drones in non-military aspects and that you have people able to get cheap, efficient aircraft and take pictures where they shouldn't. Well, one of the aspects of photography, I'll say hobbyist photographers uh, that are flying where they shouldn't be is they don't always understand the technical sides of their aircraft. And in this case, uh, the Orem Police Department had reports and sightings of a drone that was flying outside someone's uh, bathroom window. The uh, victim himself, a drone pilot was able to track down the drone, retrieve it for the Orem Police Department. And so according to them, uh, if you met all of the requirements, they effectively got the information and recordings off the SDR card and gave a list, or the SD card, and gave a list including if your if your video, your quadcopter caught video of yourself as the pilot, then please come turn yourself in. So it was a humorous reminder that uh, know the equipment that you're using because drones are not just aircraft. They are part of the bigger picture, Internet of Things, systems, software, and all of that. So hopefully the Orem Police Department gets their man before as they threaten to in the social media post say, we know who you are, we will serve you with a warrant on Christmas Day if you do not turn yourself in. So, uh, again, a tip of the hat, or acknowledgement to them for finding humor in what was obviously a potentially serious situation. And 
incorporating drone aircraft into serious situations uh, really hit home and hit the news in the past week because the uh, as most folks are familiar with there were the fires the warehouse fire and Oakland, California, that unfortunately claimed the lives of way too many uh, artists, uh, music fans, and attendees at the party. Well, the flames itself and the warehouse uh, fire was described as a very fast moving that within a couple of minutes of the report, the fire department was on the scene and there was really nothing they could do. Well, the Santa Clara Fire Department, in the aftermath of the post, once the flames were out, and in part of their search and recovery and analysis of the situation, took to the skies and really highlighted what is an important use, or one of the important uses, of the drone technologies. They used several DJI aircraft to inspect the warehouse itself, identify where hotspots may be, and also assist in their recovery efforts. So it shows and goes to highlight drones for good. And another expert who is very familiar with the beneficial uses of drones, a pilot himself, as well as a technology geek like me, is Rob Thompson has joined us today to, I mean, Rob, you are in the thick of things as both a public policy uh, analyst and commentator expert, in addition to all of your high-flying fun. So, Welcome to the show, and looking forward to our conversation today. Excellent, and uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. I would just uh, like to clarify, I'm not an expert. People in uh, aviation, especially old school experts, or uh, people who are has-beens, or trips uh, <laughs> under pressure, you know, so <laughs> we're, not, we're not really into that. Um, Fair I, I enough. specialist or uh, some other term. Thank you. No, absolutely, and, and fair enough, exactly. Uh, we're not going to put you out to pasture yet, because how can you be an expert when the issues and the technology are constantly changing? That's correct, and uh, you, you need to uh, understand quite a bit of uh, capabilities and technology, um, whether it be aviation, uh, the equipment, electronics, software. I mean, there's just uh, so many things to understand, so yeah, you might be a specialist in one area. Well, exactly, and even the specialists get it wrong. Uh, by I'm always quick to point out my expertise is more in knowing who to call and who to ask the questions to. By no means do you want me actually writing the code or uh, you know popping the shells. But uh, now, Rob, it, how did you find a way to build on and bring together all of your interests? Um, yes, that was uh, very difficult. Um, let's see, I've, I've done quite a few things, uh, whether it be a commercial pilot, and uh, that's a little different than an airline pilot. Um, I was mostly flying general aviation aircraft, Cessnas, and pulling up to a DC-3 and a Twin Otter. So I've uh, been around airplanes a long time. Part of my family was uh, working on and inspecting aircraft, so I have a mechanics background. 
And then the first time I went to school was for network engineering because I had a long passion with computers. And um, more recently, I got my master's in technical communication. Uh, I was advised that I was a great communicator and it was important for people to understand technology that are uh, creating budgets and political infrastructures. Um, so I've been very blessed with uh, being able to do things that I enjoy. Well, and you you bring up that that technical communications because it's it, across the board, be it in the corporate boardroom to the halls of you know, Congress down to the state level. That seems to be a key factor of you're not everyone, not everyone's speaking the same language, and how do you bridge those gaps? So. Uh, that's fantastic that you've been able to identify that and bring it into what you're doing and sharing that knowledge communication. So now did that is that part of what led you to utilizing it as a uh, in government affairs and kind of at the legislative policy level? That, that's correct. Um, my, my family history involved me a lot with um, regulations, whether it be in inspections for aircraft, accidents before the NTSB was created, and also uh, training and maintenance of aircraft. So that's where I get my policy background from aviation. Um, two things really got me into drones. Uh, the, the first was uh, working on military projects. I was trying to do something that would um, be incorporated into helping servicemen um, in safety. I'll leave it at that. And, uh, you know, here here they showed me some drones that I thought was amazing. So I said, here's a scaled-down aircraft that won't cost a lot of money and we can do things cheaper and you won't lose a pilot. That was a big thing. And then all of a sudden I started seeing commercial drones coming out. And I went to a maker's fair long about 2014 and I saw a guy with a Phantom. And I said, wow, I said, uh, you know, where would you get this thing? He's like, I bought it off the Internet. And I just couldn't believe it. Um, the gimbal that... They were using on that. It was a FC40, I believe, camera gimbal on the uh, Phantom 2. I think it was just a Phantom 2. And uh, the, the whole gimbal system was something that I was familiar with, and I couldn't believe it was already in the hands of civilians. So I said, wow, this is amazing. And then I started talking to some people around D.C., and they are telling me they're flying around D.C., and I said, this is, this is quite crazy. I, I really need to get involved in this um, from a policy side. I mean, uh, from a technical side, it was already... Um, building certain vehicles and, and expanding on policies. But now I said, well, you know, here's a safety concern. I, I've always been about safety. I think that it's, it's paramount of importance. That's why we're able to get on an airliner and, and not feel like we're going to die, you know. Um, so uh, when I first got into it safety, and I after I've been in it a while now, it's just uh, it's really the technology that keeps me in it. It's not the safety. I'm not nearly concerned with uh, the amount of events that I've seen that I am these days as you know, two, three years ago when I first got into this. Well, and it, it, it's, there's been a seismic shift kind of in the industry because certainly when I first broached and started looking into the, uh, both unmanned aircraft as well as the autonomous vehicles and kind of all of that was from, I was coming in from an, a technology perspective of those were the clients and the issues that I was working on. But it seems that two years ago even it was well these are aircraft strictly nobody was looking at those other aspects their the thought process wasn't focused or the development pro- 
process was not focused on the software and the actual systems, the communication between, you know, the controller and the aircraft in the technology sense. It was more, okay, where is the aircraft going? But especially this year, there seems to have been a shift of saying, okay, it's all part of this bigger Internet of Things technology realm. They're not just aircraft or they're not just, you know, Automobiles, And so that I've noticed it both in the policy development as well as kind of what you're hearing. What have you seen within that shift? Um, let's see. Uh, public opinion on drones, I think, has changed. There, there was a study out, um, I want to say 2015, 2014, that on uh, Facebook, 67% of the Posts about drones were negative. Um, I think that's, that number's changed. So uh, when you go and talk to people now versus back then, or even well before that, 2012, when I spoke to people, they didn't know what, what you were talking about. Now you can even talk about something specific like uh, drone racing or using them for agriculture or search and rescue, and, they, and the, the average citizen's already heard of using drones for this. Well, absolutely. So, um, when, when, when Disney... Uh, when the Disney Channel is airing the Drone Racing League, is that a sign that uh, you've made it as an industry or a sign that, uh, oh gosh, we've sold out almost? <laughs> uh, there are some levels of selling out. Um, I recently saw some uh, scantily clad females uh, promoting drone racing, which I thought was uh Eye raising. Oh dear! Babes, I'm I'm not really into that. (laughs) Uh, My my grandmother was a uh, pilot as well as my grandfather. I'm a third generation pilot. My grandmother Uh was a secretary of the women's flying group, the 99. It's a very famed group. Well, I was going to say. So I I agree. The flying aces of past may question the booth babes, and we will pick that (laughs) right back up after the first commercial break. Whether cruising the strip in a '57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, 
have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Talking today with Rob Thompson, both a general aviation pilot, but also a little bit of a tech geek. So, you know, as it says, we've come a long way uh, from Marilyn Monroe and World War II uh, drone factories to drones for good. And one of the things that I found fascinating, we were before the break on the Santa Clara Fire Department utilizing drones and part of their Oakland Fire Search and Rescue. Uh, you've done some work in this area on a much happier note, uh, working with wildlife, but they're playing an important role. I mean, what are some of the things you're seeing, Rob, with your work there? Um, yes, I, I've been very blessed to uh, work with Cashmere World Foundation, who uh, are, are one of our executives has been in counter-poaching and drone use since 1991. Um, a, a previous mentor of mine was, uh, invented the first commercially available gimbal for drones back in 1993. Uh, so I, I've been really blessed with working with amazing talent. But, um, you know, they, they've created certain impacts in um, uh, anti-poaching and also in environmental causes. Another cause that we're promoting right now is uh, the Michel Project, and uh, we're using drone technology to look for sea turtle nests that are on beaches. Currently, it takes uh, someone, a scientist or uh, a volunteer, uh, to go out on the beach and, and do it by foot. Uh, they they rarely have four wheelers that that go out and uh, mark some of the nests. But, and uh, then, don't you have to worry about too disturbing the you know there was a nest that wasn't marked or somehow other otherwise impacting the natural you know the uh, scene or the nature conservation area if you're doing it by foot. That's right. I was uh, I was horrified to know that some beaches. You can uh, drive on a beach at nighttime, and that's when the, the hatchlings are moving around. So I think that was one of the first things that uh, environmental people did to uh, try to protect turtles is, uh, you know, limit, especially at nighttime. And then also uh, lights on the beach, um, they're attracted to those lights, and they'll try to come back to land instead of going out to the ocean. Um, sea turtles are really cool. Uh, with the, the naked eye, we were able to, uh, to see the, the turtles at nighttime and during the day. Um, most turtles nest at night, so you know, being able to have uh, some kind of night wavier and infrared camera would help in um, the areas of uh, at least protecting sea turtles. Um, there, there's other benefits with that, too. You know, I've, I've thought about working with birds um, that are on nature species list uh, for tracking. Uh, most of these uh, birds, like bald eagle, nest in areas that are extremely hard to get to. Um, we actually have a few in Virginia that they uh, mounted a camera on, on top of the nest and uh, told people about it, and then people came and messed with the birds. 
Wait, so, what? Uh, I don't believe Really? Go ahead. Uh, people yeah. were messing. I mean, what kind of uh, issues do you have to have to where you go mess with these birds? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. But uh, that was really cool though because they had the cameras there, you know. So uh, you know, there's innovation and stuff that we could bring to drones that would would aid in environmental causes. There, there's so many ones. Um, one, we could uh, drop a camera up on a perch and just leave the camera up there to take pictures and then come by and pick it up later. You know, these things have to be developed and invented, but it's, we're not re- recreating anything we haven't already done. Um, well, and it's repurposing, it sounds like, the existing, as the technology develops, finding ways to use it uh, creatively uh, and for the betterment of uh, these endangered species. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, uh, do you ha- can you use off the shelf uh, aircraft and cameras and sensors, or are you having to tweak it for the project? So um, we recommend putting together your own drone, and, and we have those available. But it's uh, basically the uh, DJI F four fifty style frame that we put together with uh, Pixhawk, and then uh, we also install a uh, Raspberry Pi on top of the drone that does all the processing on board. Um, I, I really suggest to anyone that's uh, gathering data now to start looking at um, processing on board for the new shift. Um, those guys that are doing mapping, the same thing. Um, if you can find all your data points and offload that information, um, it's, it's a whole lot less data that you're, you're dealing with. In the long run, it's going to save you time and efforts. Well, and are there websites that you recommend or where people can find out more information about these projects and some of the design uh, recommendations? Um, well, our website at cashmereworldfoundation.org um, talks a little bit about the workshops we've had. But and for those of us who are spelling challenged, how, is that, how do you spell the cashmere? K-A-S-H-M-I-R and then world foundation.org uh, there's a little bit about our history and um, some of the programs we're working on but um, we're really uh, you know pioneers in this whole thing there's there's not going to be a lot of websites that's going to be talking about um, using raspberry pies with trends but there's going to be plenty of websites talking about either trends or raspberry pies going to be those individuals that you know start to um, connect different technologies together that's, that's going to help with you know, the onboard process of thing. Right now, we're just going out and collecting all kinds of stuff. You take the card out or the data, sift through it. Um, if you can build programs with uh, computer vision and smart technologies using stuff like facial recognition, pattern recognition, and then process that on board and just take the data points, then uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to save a lot of time and, and effort. Well, yeah, I would like to see uh, more, more companies getting back to the you know, do-it-yourself movement I know with uh, 3DR and 3D, um, the Solo and, you know, the community there and the Pixhawk, uh, you know, Pixhawk community is still really strong, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to see more people get back into this thing and, and develop things on their own and, uh, and then take those projects to, to people and have them develop. Well, it's the DIY, you know, maker mentality that really drives the technology industry, and so it's not surprising to see it growing into and kind of encroaching into the the drone world as well. I mean, these aren't your uh, grandmother's quad, you know, radio-controlled helicopters. 
as much. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, I want to say you're talking about uh, um, Marilyn Monroe and the, the factories and stuff. My uh, my grandfather actually in World War II he was a drone pilot uh, for one of those uh, secret missions they had where they loaded every all the airplanes up with dynamite and flew them into targets. It wasn't very successful, <laughs> but uh, you know I like to tell people it's one of the first uh, you know military drone pilots. <laughs> you, you come from a long line. I love it. I mean, no wonder you found this from your, you know, your interest in general aviation shifted over this way. It was predestined. Uh, being in the D.C. area, you know, um, my age group's now coming into office. And, uh, you know, all my connections from high school on up to university. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of folks I know in D.C. now that I was playing basketball with or riding bikes. So, Which can be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, so what you're saying is that you know where a lot of the the dirt and embarrassing, you know, glasses, uh, retainer, and braces pictures are located. Is that, is that it? Well, what's that again? So you know exactly where a lot of these, uh, the up-and-coming politicians, uh, Middle school braces and Coke bottle glasses <laughs> pictures are. Uh, That's correct. Uh, we will have to talk offline about that. Uh, those those can come in handy. But oh, yes. uh, now, how how did you encourage? I mean, or start developing with, for example, the Raspberry Pi playing with those? Are there websites that you found or you know, do you go to particular conferences? I mean, there's a lot in the D.C. area, especially with ShmooCon and some, some of these other kind of hacker uh, infosec conferences. Did any of those resources play into how you're using the Razor Prize and using the drones for good? Uh, no, it's uh, basically the Cashmere uh, World Foundation um, our team of scientists and stuff came up with the idea of a one-board processing. And I've actually seen it used a couple different places, but it, it's very special. When I see someone using that um, for on-board processing or for other uh, serious actions, I know that uh, you know, they're, they're well out in front of other folks. Um, yeah, it, it's difficult to find. You may find some more stuff out there. I'm not directly involved in any of the codes or anything like that. I mean, I'm a pilot, and I think at the 30,000-foot level, um, trying to connect all the dots with everyone, but um, you know, I, if I was really interested in it, you know, um, I would look for Raspberry Pi uh, camera vision or any of those uh, on GitHub or something like that, and then just start playing around with it yourself. Um, I, I found it's easiest to work for your passion, so yeah, I really have to know what your application is for. I mean, if you're going to be doing agriculture or uh, wildlife stuff, or you know, it just, just really depends. Well, in being able to bring that uh, aviation background, because that I'm sure that helps, but that also shows that shift. And I mean, you're a you're an aviator, but you're embracing and building on and developing the skills in the technology world. I mean, that it not to be Debbie Downer for the poor FAA, but that's been one of their. One of the criticisms is that you have a government uh, agency that was built and designed around aviation and safety in the national airspace, suddenly having to 
be hip and cool and get with it you know, on the technology lingo. It's It's been a bit of a transition. Have you found that your interests and as you've explored this area more, you've grown and added to the conversation? Oh, yes. Um, so, like I said, uh, I'm a third-generation commercial pilot. My grandfather, when he retired, uh, he was actually uh, Deputy Secretary of uh, the United States uh, Defense Department for all of transportation. So we spent a lot of time in the FAA office. So I've seen a transition from the 80s into the 90s. Um, in the 80s, it was everyone had money, everyone had aircraft. You go out to the local airport, there's 30 aircraft tied down. Um, then in the 90s, about the mid-90s, um, you saw about half those. And, uh, you know, more regulations. People are, In aviation, people are always complaining about some kind of regulation. Um, it's, so it's nothing new. And everyone's got to comply. So there's usually some complaints and then some kind of uh, mediation process. But a lot of, in a lot of cases, though, um, unless you're a technical expert, you really can't argue with them. You're just only going to get yourself in trouble. Well, and so. the lack of ability or expertise has never stopped D.C. folks from arguing. But we will <laughs> pick that up right after this commercial break on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio, coming to you live each Wednesday from 2 to 3. I'm your host, at Lawyer Liz, and talking today with Rob Thompson that uh, Rob certainly has the long lineage in aviation and uh, technology and even D.C. Uh, so we were talking, speaking before the break, that... Uh, DC ballers gotta be ballers. I mean, all, nobody lets things like expertise or, uh, facts always get in their way. You've gotta complain and regulate. And, uh, as the FAA has had to regulators mount up, uh, and get ready to roll into more of the technology aspect, it, that bridging that communication gap is key, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. So it's difficult to um, convey some of the safety guidelines and the terms that uh, people will understand. 
Now, for a very long time, the FAA was pretty much given a blank check every year, and it's almost like that still. And the reason was they said if we have a senator or a congressman that doesn't understand if they cut this budget in one area that it's going to highly increase the odds of uh, us having accidents or problems. So uh, they, they used to just sign off and create a budget, and that's what we're dealing with now. And another thing coming up for 2017 is going to be this re-off. Um, a lot of people were arguing about the privatization, so I don't know what Trump's going to bring to that mix right now because as a business guy, uh, you know, he may be pushing towards privatization, and a lot of people are going to be pushing back against it. So we may be in another deadlock or something may be created. Well, you brought up you brought up kind of the the budget battles of 2016 because that's when the FAA's reauthorization uh, act was you know the check came due and with some of the proposals you had the new rules the part 107 was on the cusp of coming out you had the FAA trying to deal with privacy and what happens to all this data that's being collected and then what happens with this patchwork of state regulations and drones and then the getting the air traffic uh, controllers that there was a move to get that privatized and taken off the government but as I joke the everybody wants to be a beltway baller with these agencies and by they I mean the agencies you're a baller because you have money you have money because you're solving or fixing some hot area that, as you noted, you can't cut our budget. We're safety for the children. <laughs> and hey, uh, they punted the ball a little bit in 2016. That's, that's how they do uh, a lot of different times. You know, uh, it, it's pay to play, folks. And I, I'm sorry, but that's just the way D.C. works. I don't see that changing anytime soon. You know, Trump said he was going to drain the swamp. I don't know. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty much ingrained into American politics. So if you think you're going to come to D.C. even five, six, seven times a year um, and make a real dent in something, I mean, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, your average senator or congressman gets these visits from people all the time and they never see them again. And uh, if, you, if you've been around enough people in politics or other associations such as, uh, you know, corporate You'll, you'll know that most of the figureheads at the top uh, really don't have enough time for each one of these things. So a lot in a lot of cases, you get a lot of yes people that will just tell you yes, and then that's the end of it. You go back into your state, and you think you went to D.C., and everything's great, and then, I don't know, you got to stay <laughs> And then in front surprise, of stay uh, exactly, surprise, the bill didn't look like you thought it would. Uh, well, and I... Got a little bit of a chuckle watching some of the tweet storms that our president-elect has been causing, where he's shaking, at least in the Twitterverse, he is shaking up the status quo uh, on how some of the contracts are done, or at least uh, getting some people's attention. Have you been following some of that as well? Uh, a little bit of that. Um, I was a Bernie fan, but I'm also a lobbyist, so whoever's <laughs> in the, the presidency, I've got to honor that. So I was a little upset for a little bit, but whatever. Every time I walk into a federal building, they're supposed to have a picture of the president on the left-hand side when you enter the building. So I'm going to, I guess, be looking forward to seeing Trump over there. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, apparently you weren't alone, and Silicon Valley has been caught you know, and speaking of the technology 
uh, voices. I mean, Silicon Valley got caught uh, a little bit with their, say, behind in that no, none of them, they went all in for uh, another Clinton administration. And Trump has extended the olive branch. There'll be a meeting out uh, next week with Silicon Valley folks. Some of them invited to the table, and some of them weren't, though. It'll. It, Peter Thiel's been having a little bit of fun playing Kingmaker, it seems. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, well, if you notice, he put some billionaires in there, but it wasn't any Silicon Valley for this. I honestly think he's uh, soured of the mentality and all the excessive waste that we see from these folks that are just clumping together any business that they like and trying to profit. And I don't know, it's high stakes gamble, just like Wall Street. Um, Trump played Wall Street, and uh, he's, he's, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see, but I, I honestly don't see much, uh, much traction in D.C. from the Silicon Valley folks. I'm just going to put it that way. I, I see things... Uh, maybe a shift in maybe some more old-school politics. <laughs> well, exactly. And, I mean, it, it'll it be fascinating because there certainly wasn't, I mean, Google's powerhouse of lobbying team, I mean, had a big influence on net neutrality and some of the other, uh, some of the other policies that were coming out of the current administration but we'll keep an eye on Trump Tower next Wednesday because some of the executives from Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Oracle all received invitations. But there is, you noted, there were some faces that weren't there. And how do you make headway with folks that, in some cases, they were hashtag never Trumpers? Uh, <laughs> sure. Whether the, it will be a warm reception or perhaps escargot served at the luncheon, we shall see, right? That's correct. Well, um, I don't know, around D.C., people that are native to D.C., they don't get too bent up on politics. It's just part of being around here. But, you are uh, a rare folks, breed. Yeah, are there I people mean, who are, I mean, you're one of the rare folks who are genuine you know, Beltway natives. <laughs> There's not uh, many. Well, I've been doing a long time, and I didn't come from outside of DC. Like I said, uh, you know, I've I've been growing up with these folks for decades. My dad was born inside the Beltway. Uh, my grandfather worked there 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, so. It's so okay. you know you like you know your way because, around uh, the hill. That's right. I tell it how it is because uh, depending on the issue, um, it comes down to science and technology for me. So uh, I can always revert back to that and feel safe. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> well, exactly. It ultimately, it's what do you, as an individual consumer, uh, and feel safe with? I mean, be it the aircraft falling out of the sky, or the aircraft uh, or its systems uh, capturing data or information that perhaps you don't want uh, used other than its original purpose. Yes, as far as privacy, you know, as a country, we've touched around it for so long. I don't know that we're ever going to come up with any more privacy laws or anything because, I mean, we had the opportunity uh, 110, 20 years ago, there was some balloon flying over and a guy was out sunbathing nude and said he didn't like that. Uh, That was the first time it went. And then another time, not familiar with the rest. I just think that was kind of comical. But 
If we were going to do something about it, we would have done it a while ago. I mean, there's decency laws, but, you know, what about privacy? I, I don't think they're going to touch it. Well, I mean, but I know the tech people, they really are into that, and, you know, that's fine, but as far as marrying the technology, I mean, I've had people complain. If you're around D.C., uh, we had a guy come in a meeting, and he's like, what about the privacy of these sensors? But one of the sensors we were using was for a military application. And it's uh, pretty awesome. I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> the guy's like, what about the privacy? He's like, well, you were on over. Where would you park at? Oh, yeah. So you walked four blocks. You were on probably 200 cameras and at least 100 in just this hotel alone to get to this room. So, well, you know. it is. It's whether there has been a, a privacy is already dead, but or if there's some pieces that can be salvaged. We chatted about that sure. with the watchdogs, too. I had the developer, one of the developers from that, and it, really we give up so much when we willingly take those selfies and, you know, trade, okay, you can walk from a parking garage to a hotel late at night and feel, you know, do you feel safer that these cameras have tracked your moves? Or, you know, on the flip side, I I don't know what a camera is going to do after the you know, after I've been mugged or attacked uh, to help solve the crime, well, fat lot of good that does me if I'm... It might, it might, it might <laughs> not help you, but it might help your family find the person that did it. That's about it. Well, and it certainly, uh, God have mercy on that person's soul when they get a hold of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, and that was interesting to see some of the pushback, even in the FA reauthorization, because they, they punted the ball so speaking, I think Politico uh, on their transportation morning briefing emails give you a countdown to when the reauth is back up in 2000. So, you know, that kind of thing. But how do you see some of that changing? I mean, it, as you noted, the debate has already changed almost monthly. That's right. Do you shake your crystal ball? Uh, as a D.C. native who understands uh, technology and transportation, what can you make any predictions, or sure. should we uh, say what what, what, uh, did, what does your crystal ball say? Well, it's not a crystal ball. I'm only going to talk and point towards uh, facts and history that we've seen. But uh, you know, Trump had a failed airline. Uh, maybe the FAA came down hard on him. Uh, he's a business guy, and he's probably going to be pushing for privatization. So uh, if he goes to talk to some folks and they think that's a great idea, we're, we're definitely going to see some challenges coming up. So uh, anytime they want that reauth kicked back, they just uh, you know whisper across the top, we're going to privatize the ATC, and then it never gets voted on. So, I mean, that's how it works. It's been working that way 20, 30 years. Um, it's not the best way of doing things, but that's just how it's done. So uh, if, if you're, unless you're Boeing or Lockheed or someone like that, it's going to be really difficult to make a dent in, in that kind of system. Uh, you're dealing with people that's been in charge of the skies for decades. Well, and it, certainly Boeing felt a little bit of the president-elect's uh, attention, shall we say. Uh, sure. But and it sounds like they're, it's going to be perhaps a little less of a price tag on that uh Air Force One, uh, but of course, time will tell. And uh, really, where where the entire policy shift continues will we'll pick up right after this last break on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. 
This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, speaking today with Rob Thompson on really shaking the crystal ball on where transportation technology drones are heading as we get into a new as a administration, new era in D.C. And as Rob and I were talking before the break, the FAA reauthorization expires in 296 days as of the date of this show airing live. And among the other issues that comes out of, or that were, uh, I guess, side effects of the last reauth battle were privacy. And that got uh, a sticking point, as well as how do you prohibit the federal preemption issues? Where how do you avoid the states crafting their own uh, drone policies that might conflict from state to state or county to county? And getting into the technology and death of privacy, there was an a slightly unnerving story that came out in the news in the last Washington Post recently on how BMW used the remote locking app to trap a car thief in a car recently. Uh, 
reason I find that a little disturbing is who else can use I mean, a car thief? Great. I'm the owner. I authorize you. But in a world where technology and you know, cell phone spoofing, are you sure that I am the owner? Have I compromised the owner's credentials? Uh, or perhaps I'm playing a prank on someone. Uh, or I want to repossess that car. Or I'm angry at someone. There's a lot of scary or, I don't know, issues that give me pause. And Rob uh, is one who is a straight shooter. Uh, How does that kind of, those trends uh, fall into where, you know, your radar and how do you, you know, we're talking a little bit about have we lost privacy, but when we send off or, you know, allow others to have so much access to our technology gadgets, is that does that give you pause? Uh, sure, it does. Um, I have a, a great colleague and friend that's uh, very knowledgeable in hacking vehicles. Um, our <laughs> state here in Virginia gave him a state trooper car to hack. And, oh dear! Uh, you know, he asked him. He said, "He goes, uh, you left the la- laptop there on purpose." And they're like, "Well, <laughs> we figured if someone stole a car, what can you do with it?" And he said, "Great." So I oh, uh, no. have all come back, and uh, he hands the, the chief of the state of police or whatever mm-hmm. uh, an Xbox controller. He goes, what do you want to do with this? And he goes, hit start. And he hits start, and a car starts up. He drives it around with the Xbox controller. And he goes, if you'll, you'll step inside your cruiser and look on the laptop, I gave you three felonies as well. I think there's an arrest warrant out for you. Oh, and, my. Uh, that guy's uh, pretty impressive. And he told me about the very first time a car was packed. It was packed over in the Middle East, and uh, Dignitary was driving his BMW, and across the screen on his radio said, there's a bomb on board. And the guy uh-huh. pulls over, and there wasn't a bomb on board, uh, so they kept rotating cars a couple more times, and uh, eventually, yeah, they put a bomb on and disposed of that person. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty scary. Um, I didn't think it was physically possible until I started uh, understanding you can control ABS with the braking and all the different systems, and now everything's so computerized. I mean, yeah, it's, it's completely possible. Car thieves can walk right up with these newer boxes I've seen, and uh, there's no physical activity at all. They just push a button like they end the car and step in and drive away. Uh, I think they're staying like 10 seconds or something. So. Well, in, it, absolutely. It's anytime. I hear, oh, this is unhackable, unbreakable, impossible. I thought, no, you just haven't met the right person, either bored or other motivation to, <laughs> you know, it's uh, if MacGyver can do it to get out of situations, uh, a bored, creative, technically inclined coder can do some fascinating things too. <laughs> It takes all sites. You know, I worked at an aerospace corporation, and one of the engineers there said they were interested in drones. And I said, great, you know, uh, what are you interested in for? He goes, I, I want to build a flight controller. I was like, oh, that's awesome, you know. Uh, what's, what's he going to do? And he goes, I don't know. Uh, what can you do with them? And I said, well, you fly around. You can collect data, whatever. He goes, I'm not interested in that. And I said, well, are you interested in flying around? Not really. I just want to make one of these flight controllers. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> takes all sides. You know, I didn't even, didn't even care about the flying aspect. Just thought it was cool and wanted to make a, a circuit board for, you know, a drone. Well, absolutely. I mean, why not? What else are you going to do on a Saturday night if you're not building circuit boards and stuff? I mean, that has certainly been where, and that's how I got my 
start in the IoT and drone aspects. And I'm always quick to point out, I am not an aviation uh, expert uh, from the legal perspective yet. Uh, And over the past couple of years have certainly learned more and more and more. But when you're bringing in that's, of highlights this this shift that we started part of the discussion over today about with is recognizing that an airplane or uh, is no longer quote unquote just an airplane it's now connected to so many more things that a car is no longer a car it's it's a roving computer and that's correct it uh how difficult are those conversations when you have to explain to people, no, 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 uh, the policy you're looking to do or the objective you have, here's the unintended consequences, or here's why you just got the science wrong? <laughs> uh, some, of, some of that comes down to uh, the technology is very difficult. I think some companies are finding that out right now. It's not as easy as pushing a button and a drone goes off and does everything for you. There's uh, a lot of aviation, weather, uh, computer science, programming. Um, you can usually bet uh, when you're – I probably put a uh, drone controller in the hands of someone for the very first time upwards of 400 times, whether it be a nano all the way up to a phantom. I feel sometimes comfortable putting it into people's hands. But uh, <laughs> you can generally tell the people it's going to be a problem with. And I always wonder about this, but what happens after I've showed them? Do they go out and buy a drone and then just crash it? Uh, well, and, so, and then, uh, you know, is it done then? They're like, oh, I crashed. Are they going to build? Are they going to fix it? Are they going to buy another one? In FPV racing, you're all the time busting stuff up. So there's like two schools of thought. You'll just fix the part or buy a new part and put it on. So, well, uh, you know, exactly. What kind of are they? Right? Exactly. Have they planned ahead? Or uh, I am probably a black widow of uh, many uh, nanos. I. For some reason, I like to bounce them off everything, <laughs> intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, I won't admit, but it's. I mean, and, th- and those kinds of issues, that understanding and that melt, like that combination of having an understanding of what's going to happen from the telemetry to what's going to happen from the technology. That gap. Are we are we going to be able to cover it? I mean, especially looking at who that who has been named to some of these FAA uh, study commissions and reports. Does did the powers that be or that were did they get it? Were they tapping the right minds, or do we still have a long way to go? Well, we've got a long way to go. Here come the big boys. Let's just say that um, these these armchair aerospace and aviation experts that. Uh, they saw a drone, and now they're doing aerospace. Uh, they're quickly going to find that it's extremely expensive uh, to get things certified. And that brings me to my next point. Um, in the next couple of years, you know, we're going to see a, a shift to uh, certification, where if you're using drones for commercial purposes at all, you know, every one of the parts is going to be uh, put through some kind of certification process. And self-certification didn't really work so well with the sport, uh, light sport crowd in aviation. So I see a, a tightening of rules at that point. Um, but how do you tighten are- the rules when you've got 3D printers that I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I broke something and I just, I 
I need it fixed. I can go print it or weld it together or solder it together. Sure. How do you address so that? To, uh, you'll have to be a, a maintenance technician, just like a, a general aviation repair guy. And so if there was a hole that had been punched in a side of an aircraft as an airframe guy, I'd go over and patch out a new piece of aluminum and put in there and use all designated and specified tools and uh, use a, a standard set of metrics to re, you know repair the item. And that's what will take place. So uh, if we're going to be using 3D printers in this, um, someone will be trained so that we can understand what the fault tolerances are on that piece of equipment, if they're going to develop cracks. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen a lot of 3D printing, but you can look right at the object and tell if the person knew what they were doing or not. Well, kind, yeah, I was going to say. caliber of stuff, you know. The, the devil's going to be in the details, and hopefully someone will know the details. But... Uh, and unfortunately, as always, we ran out of time. But, Rob, thank you for joining us and look forward to hopefully have you back, get some thoughts once uh, once things get underway and this new administration get insights from a true Beltway uh, baller. But, <laughs> Rob Thompson, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to and thanks to America's Web Radio for hosting the Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz show. Thank you to Halbu Smith. Catch us next time. Find us on iTunes. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. This is America's Web Radio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.